From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is the KZYX News for Monday, March 15th. I'm Sarah Wright. The county moved into the red tier over the weekend, lifting restrictions on indoor dining and paving the way for high school students to return to in-person learning. Movie theaters and restaurants, including wineries, breweries, and distilleries serving meals, may now have indoor activities with 100 people or 25% capacity, whichever is fewer. Wineries, breweries, and distilleries that do not serve meals may continue outdoors with patrons making reservations and staying at tables for a maximum of an hour and a half and finishing alcoholic beverages before 8 p.m. Museums may operate indoors with 25% capacity and gyms can open up their indoor facilities with 10% capacity. Cannabis is also in the spotlight this week. With the Planning Commission scheduled to hear about major changes to the Phase 3 Cannabis Ordinance this Friday, informational events about various aspects of cannabis have been highly visible. The Cannabis Business Association of Mendocino County is hosting an event this afternoon at 4 p.m. on the Mendo Voice Facebook page about a proposal to align the county's regulations more closely with the state's by introducing a discretionary land use model requiring use permits. Environmental arguments against the proposed ordinance concern the already existing water shortage and the desire to preserve open lands for wildlife. Most public policy regarding cannabis is not based on science, according to Phoebe Parker-Shames, a Ph.D. candidate at the Brashares Lab at UC Berkeley who's devised an experiment to test the impact of noise and light from cannabis grows on wildlife. Last week, the Hopland Research and Extension Center hosted her virtual presentation to a crowd that included local county and tribal government leaders, ecologists, and small cannabis farmers. There are a lot of different ordinances out there um, and different ways of implementing regulation across the state, county by county. Not all counties regulate cannabis the same. Not all counties are regulating for noise and light. And none of those regulations are actually informed by science because the science isn't there yet. So we are really hoping that this work will inform cannabis regulation, certifications, and farmer decision-making, ultimately with the aim of promoting sustainable farming practices. Parker Shames expects to conduct her wildlife monitoring research over the next two years, involving three sites each at the Hopland Research and Extension Center and Angelo Reserve. She's gathered some observational data, like a stunning game cam shot of a mountain lion in front of a cannabis grow, but says that's not enough. How might specific practices on cannabis farms affect local wildlife? So some of my previous work looking at wildlife on active cannabis farms gave us a baseline to approach this question. So this previous work looked at wildlife space use, again, on active cannabis farms and also into surrounding areas. We can get really interesting data, including photos like this mountain lion on an active cannabis farm, um, and we're starting to gain a, an understanding that wildlife in general are avoiding cannabis farms in space and time. But there's a limit that, from what we can learn from observational studies. What we don't know is what, um, what particularly influences the decision of an animal like this mountain lion to use the space. So why, why is this mountain lion here? This isn't necessarily the typical photos we get from this research. Is it because the guard dogs were offsite that night? Was it because the generator failed and it was quieter? Were they not using lights at this site? And so there was nothing like that to deter them. While the observational data has been really important to build a baseline understanding of cannabis farming and its effects in a natural setting, we're limited in what we can learn about the mechanisms by which cannabis can impact wildlife. So instead, we can get that from experiments. Cannabis farms create a wide range of conditions, as Parker Shames explained, against a backdrop image of one farm in southern Oregon where the quail appeared to be coexisting with the crop. 
In the case of this farm, they're trying to do everything right, both legally and ecologically. But even so, uh, they've had to do some land clearing, road formation. There's increased human activity on site. There's new fences. There's noise from water pumps or drying fans or other equipment. They have lights that they use in a greenhouse during certain times of the year. Many other farms also have things like plastic netting or plastic mulch. Some of them are using pesticides. So this creates um, multiple different potential pathways that could affect um, species, distributions, and interactions. Now, some of these potential interactions uh, cannabis has in common with other forms of agriculture, while some are more similar to things like rural housing development, and some are mostly unique to this particular industry. Parker Shames, whose work is funded by the Bureau of Cannabis Control, plans to set up the light and noise conditions of a cannabis farm at her six sites and monitor the reactions of a wide range of animals at various distances from the sites, including some collared deer at Hopland. Game cameras are set up to capture the activity of larger mammals. There will be acoustic monitors for birds and bats and traps for insects. There's also an ingenious device involving a bucket and a short fence to capture the reactions of small land-based animals. She's not expecting a full set of data until a couple years after she completes the experiment, but she does have some hypotheses. We have several different hypothesized results that we might get out of this work. We're expecting there to be species, taxa, and functional group-specific responses that ultimately lead to altered wildlife community composition in the presence of the treatment. We're expecting that the magnitude of effect will be greatest for light and sound combined than either one separately. And we're also expecting that threshold effects will be evident at relatively close scales, so 50 50 to 100 meters for most taxa, and that the impact of the treatments will be largely absent at 200 meters. There is some research out there, including papers at the UC Berkeley Cannabis Research Center. Parker Shames had some advice for policymakers seeking to craft ordinances. Start with the farmers, look to existing research, and make informed guesses. For KZYX News, I'm Sarah Wright. For all our local news with photos and more, visit kzyx.org. You can also subscribe to the KZYX News podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.